morning. Amen. It is the first Sunday of the month of December, and I'm, I'm still right now trying to reconcile in my mind, comprehend where the first 11 months of the year have gone. Am I the only one? I feel like this whole year has blown by like a freight train with no brakes, and I'm trying to process that right now. But I, I, when I look back at the year, when I think about 2023, and I think about the year that it's been, what a year. It's been an eventful year. It's been a year that's really been a milestone year for many people with regard to trial and challenge and hardship, loss, um, illness within this church. And I look at the difficulties that we've gone through throughout the year of 2023, and now check this out. We're here this morning, and it is a testament to the faithfulness and the goodness and the patience and the love and the compassion and the mercy and grace of the God that we serve. It's a testament. We're here this morning. We have air in our lungs. God's given us another day, and praise, we praise him for that. So as we're, as we're here this morning, one of the things that I wanted to do is reflect on 2023 for a moment. And we see how the Lord really has shown himself strong time and time and time again in our lives. One of the things that we did close to about a month and a half ago, two months, is we gathered together as a church in this building. We lifted up the nation of Israel. We lifted up the military, the IDF, that's currently on the ground in Gaza, on a ground operation in the heart of Gaza. We lifted up uh, President or uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for wisdom and for discernment as he's uh, working with his war cabinet to make sure that they're continuing to do whatever they can to release those hostages that have been taken on October 7th by the terrorist regime Hamas. We also had, were lifting up the hostages of those family members uh, that were taken, civilians, innocent Israeli civilians that were taken, men, women, and children, taken into the heart of Gaza against their will, kidnapped. We were praying for the 14,000 uh, family members that lost loved ones in that uh, horrible, horrible act um, that took place on October 7th. So now let's fast forward to what happened last week. So on November 24th, uh, there was a ceasefire that's, that, that was established with the Israeli government and with the, the regime, the Hamas regime. The ceasefire lasted for seven days. It ended last Friday. And amid that ceasefire, over 100 women and children were released during that ceasefire. Praise God. These are the families that we were praying for. These are the families that many Christians throughout the world were praying for. Before I show a clip of uh, a father being reunited with his daughter, her name is Emily. Emily's around nine or 10 years old. Emily was taken against her will by, this, by the regime. And the father, I watched the, uh, the, news, the news report about a month and a half ago, the father was notified that his daughter was dead, that, her that his daughter had succumbed to... Uh, to uh, the injuries uh, while she was in the Gaza Strip. Well, the intelligence was incorrect. And uh, Emily was reunited with her father uh, just this last, uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday. The Lord shows himself strong. And he's answered the prayers of his people. And we're going to continue to pray for the nation of Israel because we as a church, we stand with Israel. We pray for the peace of Israel. That's biblical. Psalm 122 verse 6 says, We are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we're going to continue to do that. 
as a body of Christ. And we will continue to lift up prayers against this wave of anti-Semitism that's exploding throughout the world. And we as a church, we cannot be silent. As a church in Germany, you know, during that time, you know, everything was on the line. And it's important that we continue to speak up. We continue to pray for the nation of Israel. And we will stand with Israel. So we see what's happening around the world. Israel is just one small, one example. But all eyes are on the nation of Israel. A small piece of real estate in the Middle East. But now you see a growing global landscape where you see conflict starting throughout different parts of the world. What's happening? What's going on? Well, Jesus would make it specifically clear on the Mount of Olives when he answers the questions of his disciples with regard to what were the signs of of his coming and the signs of the coming of the end of the age. And Jesus would say this in Matthew 24, verse 6 through 8. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. These type of birth pains that we're seeing taking place are becoming more frequent, they're becoming more intense, and they're becoming more severe. We can look around and we can see the landscape around the world right now, and this is happening. Well, church, these birth pains will become more intense. They will continue to grow more severe and more frequent, leading up to the return of our Jesus, leading up to the return of our Lord and Savior. So amid all of this, with that top of mind, there's a growing sense of urgency that time is short. We are closer today today than we ever have been with regard to the return of Christ. So it's so important that we as the body that we stay on mission, that we stay focused on what God has called us to do as we fulfill the charge that has been placed over our lives as Christ followers in real time. Today, right here, right now, in December of 2023, that we're mindful of the charge that has been given to you, the charge that's been given to me. This morning, we're going to be reading about the charge given to a young pastor named Timothy a charge given to him by Paul. And as we unpack this, there's strong parallels as we go through the message today with regard to a charge that has been given and has been placed over the life of every Christ follower today. One of the things that we're going to be uh, unpacking is that when we look at what's happening around us, these are exciting times. You may be saying, Garrett, how can you say that? How can you say that these are incredible times? Well, look around us. Look what's unfolding. We have have the word of God that tells us that these things would take place. These things would happen. And as we look at what's happening right now, these are exciting times. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christ follower, you might be thinking to yourself, these are terrifying times. These are horrifying times. Well, for you this morning, there's hope in the message. There's hope in the message with regard to the one hope that we hold fast to, which is Jesus Christ. And that free gift of salvation is available to you today. So as we unpack this today, the title of today's message is Meeting the Season. How we meet the season. Just a quick story. I remember my boss flew in from Illinois, where our our headquarters is located. I work in a toy factory. We make 
toy parts for RC cars. We have an engineering team. It's like Santa's workshop. I guess you could think about it that way. We have a smart group of engineers that work through their engineering. They tool up these really cool off-road, on-road performance parts, shocks and bodies for RC cars. So when people like me break it, we can get parts to replace it, and then we can keep doing our hobby, right? So my boss comes into town, and he flies in from Illinois, and he tells me, he said, Garrett, we're walking the production floor. And he says, Garrett, hey, we are going to do whatever it takes to meet the season. He says, we're going to do whatever it takes to meet the season to fulfill the demand for our consumers and to be able to deliver on the demand in the market for the Christmas season. And that stuck with me, man. I was thinking, yeah, well, okay, that's from a business standpoint, but what about from a Christian worldview? What are we doing to meet the season right now? The demand is heavy. We see the world around us, the current uh, climate of the world around us. And it's time for us to continue to be mindful that we are in season. And we're going to be talking about practical application with how we can meet this season with regard to the days that we're living in today. If you guys don't mind standing to your feet, we have the privilege of reading the Word of God together. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 to 17. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to be starting, ending in chapter 4, verse 2, kind of uh, unpacking the first portion of chapter 4. I'll read the, odd, the even verses. If you can read the odd verses, I'm going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you, uh, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let me give a little bit of context. I want to make sure we leave enough time to unpack our, our, our passage today. So poor Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is in another bind. This is his second imprisonment in the city of Rome. There has been an eruption of persecution against the Christian church. And Paul is in his imprisonment in Rome. And this would be his very last imprisonment. His death is imminent. Paul would be beheaded for his faith. And what Paul's doing now is he's writing the second letter that he would write to Timothy, his, his beloved son in the faith. Man, Paul has a heart for Timothy. He loves Timothy. He cares so much for Timothy. And as he's writing to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy, Timothy, there's instruction and there's teaching, and I'm preparing you to continue to do what God has called you to do with regard to the calling upon your life. This is young Timothy. Timothy would have joined Paul throughout his second and third missionary journey. But Timothy would also be deployed as boots on the ground in the troubled churches. The church of Corinth was a mess. Timothy was deployed there to provide additional instruction, additional teaching with regard to redirecting the church because you had a, uh, a disaster unfolding as these false apostles came into the church and begin to pervert and contort and to twist the doctrine that had been left there by Paul when he planted the church. And so here's young Timothy now. Timothy had a heart for Paul. Paul had a heart for Timothy. And there is a dire sense of urgency in Paul's letter to Timothy as he's reminding him, Timothy, this is it. 
It's all coming down to this moment. My death is imminent. And there is, it's important that we understand this. There is no sense of defeat. There is no sense of discouragement. There is no sense of, of sadness in his, in his letter as he's writing to Timothy. Instead, he's encouraging Timothy. Can you imagine? Paul is in the worst of worst circumstances. His death is imminent. He's at the end of his ministry, the end of his life, and he's pouring out himself to Timothy, encouraging the young pastor, saying, Timothy, press on. Continue to do what I've called you to do and what the Lord ultimately has called you to do. So in this writing of the second letter, we're going to be unpacking the main points, four main points today. The first main point that we're going to be unpacking is a life observed. Timothy had a front row ticket to observe the life of the Apostle Paul. He heard Paul preach in the synagogues. He heard Paul preach to the, uh, the Gentile population in the open marketplace. It's important that we bridge that to us today. People are watching our lives, our families, our friends, our communities, our, our work employees. There's people that are watching our lives and Paul's behavior aligned with what he believed. There was consistency in this. We're going to be unpacking that first point here in a minute. We're also going to be unpacking the second point of a faith heritage. What did it look like for Timothy? Man, Timothy was raised up in Old Testament scripture. His, his grandmother, Lois, his mother, Eunice, on to Timothy. Timothy was brought up and saturated in the word of God. How does this apply to us today for the next generation following us? Our grandbabies, our children, our nieces, our nephews, those around us that we have influence upon the third point we're going to be unpacking is the preeminence of Scripture. That's a fancy word for the ultimate authority, the, uh, the authority of Scripture. The fourth is a final charge. This is the grand finale. This is the final charge that is being given by Paul to Timothy. And we're going to be talking about a charge that has been given to you and I as Christ followers today. Let's dive in. The first point is a life observed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 reads, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, and my perseverance. Tim Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you have seen my life. You know the way that I live my life, Timothy. You know my purpose. You know my faith. You've seen my life that is marked with love, by perseverance, my, my, my heart. You, you've seen it all. It's been broadcasted before Timothy. And Timothy would have seen this firsthand. Timothy had incredible opportunities to sit back for a moment. It's like me when I, when I was younger, watching Pastor Ron, watching Pastor Jim, Pastor Rod. I grew up at Calvary Chapel uh, Packing House, man. I remember being uh, Henry's age, and I remember sitting there in the green pew listening to Pastor Rod preach, like, wow, man, this is a man who lives what he preaches, and so for me, it's similar to what we're talking about with regard to uh, Timothy seeing the way that Paul lived his life. Paul gets even more specific here. He says, Timothy, you've seen my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, and my perseverance in action. Paul's purpose and his manner of life was obvious to Timothy. What about you? What about me? Is that made obvious to those within the four walls of our home. It's not perfect, right? It's never gonna be perfect. It's never gonna be the Brady Bunch, everything's perfect, Facebook makes it perfect, it's a veneer. Life is messy. 
Life is challenging. There's, there's, there's challenges that we face even within the four walls of our home. But when we look at our life and we look at the totality of our life, is it marked by the purpose that we are called to with regard to living a life that is committed to, and surrendered to following after Christ, to glorify him, to please him, whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, to do it for his glory and for his glory alone. That is what we're called to do. And my prayer is that we would be able to look our children, my, my daughter, let me start with me first. Look my daughter in the eyes when she's older. Maybe she's walking down the aisle. Maybe it's before that point in time. And say, baby, you know my purpose. You know my life. You know it, it's not perfect. But you know that, I, and I pray that you would see alignment between what I believe and how I behave. And that there would be consistency in that. Paul's saying, Paul's using this as a credibility piece. Now, it's important to remember this. God has placed men and women in our lives to show us what this looks like. God has put people providentially in our path. And it's important to remember this fun fact. God has placed us within the lives of other people to show others what it looks like to live a life that is committed and dedicated to following after Jesus Christ. It's heavy, heavy stuff, but it's true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, we'll continue on. Persecutions, Paul writing about the persecutions and afflictions which happened to him at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, the persecutions that he endured. And out of all of them, the Lord delivered Paul. So let's pump the brakes here real quick. We're going to be referencing some... some uh, these, these exact situations from the book of Acts. So Paul goes to Antioch with his traveling buddy, Barney, Barnabas. I'm sorry. I call him Barney. Paul goes to, to Antioch and he goes to Antioch and he goes to preach the message of the gospel to the Jews on the Sabbath in the synagogue. That was Paul's spot, man. He would set up shop in the synagogue. He would talk about the history and the lineage of the nation of Israel from the point of Egypt all the way to the Old Testament prophets speaking about the Messiah who would come, which is Jesus Christ and who has come. And he would make the connection point. He drew it from the Old Testament all the way through to present. And he would preach Christ. He would preach his, his, his death, his resurrection. And what happened is the Jews in the synagogue said, Paul, what are you talking about? We want to hear more about this. And so then the Gentiles, the non-Jews in Antioch, got word of what was happening, what message Paul was communicating, the message of hope, the message of the gospel. And they said, all right, Paul, this is the deal. We need you to come back next Saturday. And we are going to rally the whole city of Antioch, and we're going to come back, and we want to hear this message. Imagine us today going home. You're here. You've heard the gospel for the first time today, and you're like, whoa, this is huge. I'm going to grab grandma. I'm grabbing grandpa. I'm going to go tell everyone, guys, you got to be here next Saturday for this. This is, gonna, this, is, this is life-changing. So what happens in Antioch is you have Jew and Gentile coming in to hear Paul preach the good news of the gospel. There's a certain sect of Jews that are just, they can't handle it. They're jealous, they hear the message, and they're just beside themselves. And so they raise up prominent men and women in Antioch to chase Paul out of town. 
They chased Paul and they chased Barnabas, his traveling buddy, out of town. How do they respond to that? Does Paul and Barney say, hey, you know what? We're going we're to retire from the ministry. We're going to go pick up golf. There's nothing wrong with golf, by the way. We're going to go pick up golf. We're, gonna just, we're just going to cruise control it. We did our job. It's time to move on. Acts chapter 13, verse 51 says, Verse 51, 51 says that these men shook the dust off their feet and they pressed on to the next assignment. Wow. These men were not hindered by the non-receptivity, by the non-response of the angry, militant Jewish sect. And they said, we're going to continue on, man. We're going to continue on to the next assignment that God has called us to do. This is the application for us, church. Pretty soon you're going to be gathered for Christmas with your friends and family as we celebrate the, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's people, I, I, would, I, would, I would assume that maybe within some of your family dynamic, there's people that say, I, you know what, Garrett, I don't want to hear anything about what you have going on at church. I don't want to hear anything about Rooted. I don't want to hear anything about the Mexico build. I, I, let's just keep that to the side. And we can become discouraged by that. I can. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe we, you're so, it's an endurance race, man. It's, it, it, you're praying constantly that that person would come to the knowledge of truth in Jesus Christ. Lord, you put me in their path, but there's no response. It's important that we look at the attitude and the mindset of Paul and Barnabas and say, it's okay. We're going to continue to press on to what God has called us to do. Let's shake the dust off our feet. That doesn't mean that we do one of these. It means that we, we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting and saying, Lord, show me what to do next. So these men then go to Iconium. They move from Antioch to Iconium, and it's only becoming more and more challenging for Paul and for Barnabas. In Iconium, Acts chapter 14, verse 1 through 7, we read about them going to Iconium, same protocol. They preach in the synagogue. They preach to the Gentile, the message of the gospel. There's even miracles performed. And now it gets even more rowdy. You have a sect of the Jews, and then you also have those that are opposed to them that are following Paul and Barnabas. They get word that there's men in the city that want to stone them to death. Wow, that escalated quickly. So now they move on to the last spot, which is Lystra. In Lystra, what happens is you have this militant group that catches up to Paul, catch up to Barnabas. They stone Paul. They drag his lifeless body outside of the city and they leave him there to rot, not knowing that Paul is still alive. God has preserved Paul's life. God wasn't done with Paul. God's not done with us. We're here today for a reason. And the application is this. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, Paul rises from his situation. Can you imagine? Stoning was brutal. Every bone, every ligament, every tendon in your, in your body screaming because you've been, you've been pummeled with, with, with stones, with the intent to kill you. Well, he rises up and where does Paul go? Paul could, again, throw in the towel. Paul goes back to Antioch and Iconium to strengthen the brethren and to say this to them. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pause there for a minute. Is Paul out of his mind? 
crazy, right? Reasonable, logical. Paul's going back to the very place that those who came to kill him, he had a hit on his life. Is Paul out of his mind? What is it that would draw a man back to the very place that his enemies came from in order to be able to go and to strengthen the brethren and to encourage the brethren and to remind them that through many difficulties, many challenges in this life, in and through those things, we enter into the kingdom of heaven. As Christ followers, we are guaranteed this, that we will face persecution. Sorry, but but then I'm not. Because Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted because you follow after me. And so what happens in this moment in time, Paul goes back. What is it within Paul? And I will tell you this, and this is what I have seen in this church. We saw it with Pastor Rod talking about Hope City. It is a supernatural production of fruit in and through the work of God's spirit manifesting itself in a way that it comes to light in and through this selfless act of love. What Pastor Rod was talking about earlier, a selfless act of love. That's an agape type love, church. That, is, that can only be produced through the Holy Spirit. The culture may say, well, I don't know about that. We love people. This agape type love that's shown in this is a supernatural type of love. And Paul's afflictions, Paul's difficulties, the, the challenges that he went through, they were reminders of the Lord's deliverance time and time and time and time again. Think about your life. Think about the darkest time of 2023. What a year. Think about the hardest situation in 2023. And you're here this morning. And this morning, guys, during Christmas time, emotions are amplified, especially with emotions surrounding loss, loved ones that we've lost, children that are are sprinting down the prodigal path. You're here this morning, you're afflicted with a broken heart. You're afflicted with anxiety, depression. Well, there's a promise, and this promise is exclusive. What I mean by that, there's a promise for every Christ follower. I remember Pastor Ron and I had some good discussions this year. And this is, I believe, one of the Psalms that we read together in uh, Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse 14 to 16. It reads, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me or she will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. That is a promise of deliverance for those who place their faith in Christ. For those who who call upon his name. It's a powerful reminder. When our daughter was in the hospital, our daughter Maylee lived there for, for three months after she was born premature. This, this psalm right here, church, this is what we call our white knuckle psalm. We cling to it with everything that we had, even when we spoke it and we had a hard time speaking it. Lord, what are you doing here? This is hard. This is challenging. We are in the front lines. We're in the war bunker, man. This was our, this was our clinger. This is what we held fast to. And it was because of this very reason. There's a promise, and it's a divine promise given to us by God that he will deliver us amid the dire circumstances that we're within. We'll continue on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. 
reads, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Going back to Acts chapter 8, verse 3. Saul, the pre-conversion name of Paul, was a madman. He had this one focus in his mind, and the focus was demonically inspired, it was demonically motivated, and it was to eradicate the Christian church. Like a shark in water. You guys ever seen Shark Week? And that poor seal man, he's been wounded, and the sharks, are they, they can't see, I think they're blind, right? But they can smell underwater, that's how God's created them, it's just awesome. But they know, they're, they're out for blood. All they, can, all they know is that it's time to eat, it's time to go. That was like Saul. That was like the attitude in the heart that Saul carried towards the church. The Bible says that he wreaked havoc upon the church. He would gather men and women and he would take them out of their homes and he would deport them to Jerusalem where they would stand trial. But something happened to Saul. On the road to Damascus, Saul had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ and he was forever changed. His role, not just his name, his role changed from that of the persecutor to the persecuted. He was no longer the hunter, he was the hunted. In the original Greek text, in the original Greek manuscript, the word persecution is translated as one who has a overwhelming desire to punish the servant of God with a vengeance, conquering them as their catch. That was Saul. Well, Saul had an incredible encounter, and now he's on the other side of this. And just like Christians... Then, Christians today, we will and we are seeing persecution. Now, let me make this clear. Persecution in Nigeria looks different than what it looks like in America. Between 2015 and 2020, over 12,200 men, women, and children were murdered, slaughtered because of their faith in Christ Jesus, murdered by Islamic extremist groups such as Boko Haram, and ISIS, and they still showed up to church. They gathered within the four walls of their church, knowing full well the repercussions that that could have upon them and their families. 12,200 in five years. That's absolutely incredible. I'm going to ask uh, if we can put a picture up on the, on the screen here. If anyone can tell me who this is, I don't have anything to give you, I'm sorry. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a free cup of coffee after the service. But if, oh, you guys already are on it. You guys are on it. I think I heard it from both sides of the room. Great job. So this is Napoleon Bonaparte, the Frenchman, the self-proclaimed emperor. He is the military mastermind. They're still studying, by the way, in universities, um, in, in war cabinets around the world, how it was that he could come up with the most brilliant strategies for his military conquest. They're still studying that today, by the way. It's incredible. Napoleon Bonaparte grew up as a Catholic. He was not a professing Christian. But listen to what he said. This is important. This is huge. These are the words of Napoleon Bonaparte. He says, Alexander, which is Alexander the Great, Caesar and Charlemagne and I, which is Napoleon, have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Wow. Millions of men and women would die for him. And millions of men and women have died for him. 
Persecution is something that we have to reconcile in our mind, church. That it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. But all of that to say, we have been given the Spirit of God to continue to strengthen us, embolden us, and it's important that we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Somalia, China, North Korea, all over the world. And it's a blessing that we can come here today with our Bibles and do what we're doing right now. We'll continue on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from who you have learned them. Paul talks about the qualities of these evil men earlier on in the chapter, chapter 3. These are men who are continuing, continuously exposed to the truth, but even in being exposed to the truth, they still will not come to the knowledge of truth. They are veiled, and they refuse to come to the knowledge of truth, to surrender their will. And these are men who were deceivers. But Paul says, Timothy, stick with what you know. You stick with what your grandmother and what your mother and how you were raised up in Old Testament scripture. You stick with what you know to be true. And it's important that we stick to what we know to be true, especially as we see deception growing. We see it all over the world, right? We see it even within the church in America. Deception is on the rise. And so what's happening is Paul is reminding Timothy of the importance of being confident and sticking to what he knows. Church, this is what we know. This is what we know to be true. This is our plumb line. And everything else is, is, is put up against this. This is what we depend upon. This is what we have to continue to come back to day after day, month after month, year after year. And Timothy is being reminded of this right now. We'll continue to point to a faith heritage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 reads, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Check this out. There was a generational pour over, starting from grandma, Lois, to his mother Eunice, to Timothy. There was a pour over over Timothy's life, and it started generations previously. And look at the impact it had upon the life of Timothy. Man, you think Timothy's mother would ever think that this that Timothy would be on these, sec- on, these, on these missionary journeys with Paul the Apostle? Right? Sometimes we think that that's maybe a, a glamorous thing. But what about us? Think about how the pouring over of us with Scripture as little ones, whether it's in your Sunday school class from your, your teacher, your parent, your grandparent, there is a generational impact that takes place. And you may be here this morning and say, Garrett, man, I am unchurched. I didn't grow up in a family where church was something we did. I didn't grow up in a family where that was something that we were called to do, right? I never had Scripture spoken over me and prayed over me. Well, the good news, it starts with you. The cycle's broken. And now you get to do what the grandparents and mother of Timothy did in this generational overpouring, if you would, is a continuation of that and the impact it had upon his life. Let me share a scripture out of Isaiah 55, verse 10 through 11. It reads, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven 
and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word will not return empty and it will accomplish what he intends it to accomplish. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, the preeminence of scripture. This reads that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Doctrine is a fancy word for teaching. Correction is a fancy term for realigning something that's not right, realigning something that is not straight. Correction means to set something straight, and instruction in righteousness means to train up in righteousness. And now think about this. When we take time throughout our week to read, and we're going to talk more about this as we get close to ending. When we take time to read the word of God throughout our week, and then we're, or whether it's a Sunday service, think about what's happening in that moment. There is a constant equipping that's taking place, right? There's, according to, according to what Paul is writing to Timothy, there's an equipping that takes place and our job, when the rubber meets the road, our job as pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is achieved through the teaching of the word of God. As pastors, we're also called to care for, to nourish, to protect, to love the flock. And the equipping of the church takes place through the reading of the word of God in teaching, the church, in teaching so that it can be understood. That's important. So the church can be equipped for every good work. And the final charge, as we get ready to wrap up here shortly, so the final charge, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you therefore, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Wow. At his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Paul's charge to Timothy before he would be beheaded is to do this. Preach, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word of God. Timothy, I am not charging you to preach philosophy. I am not charging you, Timothy, to preach how to live your best life now. I am not charging you to preach a message that tickles the ears of a perverse culture. Timothy, I am telling you, before Jesus Christ, the one who will judge the living and the dead at his coming, preach the word. And church, that is what we are committed to at this church. We are committed to the preaching of the word of God. And we will not compromise upon that. We can't compromise on that. We will continue to preach the word of God. And it is a privilege as the equipping is taking place. And there's a charge. Now, this is the grand finale. Where do we come in here? Where do we as a church come into this, as a body of Christ come into this? There was a charge that was placed over the life of young Timothy. There is a charge that has been given to us, the body of Christ. That charge was given to us. Matthew chapter 28 says that Jesus met with his disciples, appeared, this is after his death, after his resurrection, before his ascension. 
He would meet with his, his disciples, the 11, Judas, Judas was gone. His 11 disciples gathered on a mountain in Galilee prior to his ascension. And Jesus would look at them and he would say this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That's the charge. You and I have been given that charge. So what do we do now? How do we live this charge out practically? How do we make disciples of all the nations? It starts in our homes first. That's, that's the epicenter. That's, that's the starting point. And it goes from there. When I look at my house and I think about my family and I think about this, uh, this challenge that uh, a lot of men in the men's group we've been talking about, is starting 2023 with something a little bit different maybe. The one-year Bible. The one-year Bible is brilliant. And this is why I say that. Don't, don't let that take over your, your other reading. But I encourage the church. The one-year Bible is great because one of the things that you look at in the one-year Bible, that includes an Old Testament passage, New Testament passage, a Psalm, and a proverb. So I can talk. I've been, I've been telling my team at work, which I probably shouldn't be, but I'm doing it anyways. My team at work, I say, hey, Belen, I have a gift idea for you. For you. And she was, she's been asking some questions about church. I said, hey, if you get the one-year Bible and you, your husband gets the one-year Bible, I can say, hey, Belen, what'd you think about the reading today? Oh my goodness, man, this really ministered to me. The men in the men's group, hey, Daniel, what'd you think about the reading today? Oh my goodness, this really ministered to me. So what happens is it's great because we can, there's a commonality with regard to what we're reading and how we're pacing through it. One of the things also that's important, my daughter, someone gifted us this, this storybook Bible called Jesus Calling. And I think now with baby showers, the, the, and I love it, the fun thing to do is to write a note in a book and hand that instead of maybe a gift that someone you know, may not use or whatever the case is. That Jesus Calling book, we read that to our daughter every night and it, it wrecks me all the time because it's so simple. There's pictures, illustrations throughout the storybook Bible. There's people within our logistics companies that we work with. I found out one of them was having a baby and said, hey, Justin, can I give you a book for your, for your uh, baby shower? And he goes, yeah. So I gave him an Amazon gift card and he got the book for his, he was thrilled. He was ecstatic. There's practical things that we can be doing starting within our own homes. The second thing that we think about is the church. John MacArthur said this and I, and I just was like, wow. Simple, straightforward, very easy, but then we have to live it out practically. Within the church, he said this, find someone who knows more than you do and learn from them. Find someone who knows less than you do and teach them what you know. Teach them what? The word of God. And make it clear to them. Whether it's a pastor, Ron, I've been, I've been you know, for, for years now gleaning off of pastor Ron. I want to surround myself with men and women, a Lois, a Eunice, that I can glean from as, as I continue in my own, my own walk with Jesus. But there's men and there's women, there's younger people in this church. They're counting on us to come alongside of them and disciple them. Whether it's through 
coffee, breakfast, whatever it may be. Find someone in the church and let's be intentional as we disciple and we carry out the calling that we've been called to carry out. And what a divine privilege that is. And I think about also work. How do you make disciples at work, man? That can be hard, right? If you work in a secular work environment and you have guidelines and policies and you got to be careful with what you say, this is what I've seen time and time again. Two, two, hopefully these two things help. I've learned this from someone. There's never been a time where I have prayed, Lord Jesus, I I pray that you would provide an opportunity for me to minister to someone that he did not answer that prayer. During this time of the year, there's depression is at an all-time high, anxiety at an all-time high. People are at the end of themselves right now. You can see it in the workplace, right? You can already kind of see it right now. Stress, pain. Utilize that time, whether it's getting them a coffee in the morning, whether it's taking them out for lunch, and share your rooted story with them. Share what God, the transformative work that God has done and is doing in your life. And that is a starting point. And God will move mountains as he providentially places you in the path of those people. It's awesome. As we wrap up, I'm going to call the band up if I can. As we wrap up and as we get ready to take communion here in a few moments, when we live out and we fulfill the charge, the great commission that's been placed over our lives, church, we're meeting the season. We are meeting, meeting the season, not a season of demand for, you know, for Christmas. We are meeting the season that we're living in right now, right here. And I, would, I, will, I want to encourage you with this, that you are here for a purpose. It's not by coincidence. It's not by accident that you're alive in history at this point in time right now. Your purpose and your mission is to fulfill the charge that God has put upon your life. And as you do that, you glorify, you honor him. And I want to encourage you with that this morning. So let's meet the season as we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to worship. Um, Let me maybe close with a quick prayer. That's okay. Lord, we love you. I thank you that you have called us to meet the season. God, you have called us to be on mission. And I ask and pray that you would continue to provide opportunity after opportunity for us to carry out the work that you have called us to. I pray that you would give us a patient endurance as you gave Paul and Barnabas to continue to press on with regard to the, the, the charge over our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you, we trust you, and we can only do this in and through the divine power and strength of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time of worship and our time of communion. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.